a letter uh, that was written to the church in Philadelphia with all the imagery of uh, temples and pillars. Um, your uh, uh, slideshow of yesterday came to mind. And, um, you know, we, we, we do, as interpreters of scripture, have to um, uh, properly take a moment to pause and not to immediately read our time of 2020 into the text. Um, huh? 2022. What did I say? 2020. <laughs> <laughs> no, I tend to uh, be slow. <laughs> so, but, you know, how did the, how did John's audience hear these words? Because they saw temples all over the place. And then they are taught, they, they hear these words about a temple that is really, again, out of this world, uh, of a different order, uh, on the pictures anyway, and that's not fair to them then, but 2,000 years ago, um, you know, 2,000 years later, we see now you know, these existing, surviving portions of temples and pillars, and uh, a little bit crooked, a little bit uh, blackened by time, and uh, so forth. Um, um, let's just say that, that, that things weren't perfect then either. Um, you know, they saw those temples, but, you know, earthquakes happened, and uh, some of them, you know, uh, fell down. Like the god of Dagon fell down all the time when the morning came around. Um, you know, we have a temple that exists forever, because we are the temple. The body of Christ is the temple in which God dwells, amazingly. Um, so, they needed the message to persevere. We need it too, don't we? Um, and so let's take a, a brief look at these answers. Uh, we're coming to the end of this uh, whole uh, third form in what was called the three forms of unity. And especially in the, in the last one, it's a little bit more detailed, uh, but you certainly get there the, the call for us Christians to say today, Reformed Christians to say today, what about these confessions? You know, are they just historical um, um, uh, treasures, but you, know, you, as it were, you you place them, uh, you know, behind a glass and on a shelf, and you look at it and say, "Oh, that's uh, wonderful, uh, what they did 500 years ago," or do you take them off the shelf and you open them and you use them, you believe them? Um, that's a real challenge. But uh, I'm running ahead a little bit. 14. Uh, God's use of means in perseverance. Well, the first thing that uh, comes right uh, at us is that um, the answer is um, uh, distinguishing in terms of priorities. Uh, the first thing that uh, would be the priority, it should be the priority for any Christian, uh, but in the Reformed tradition, we have prioritized the ministry of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, because that's where faith starts. The book of Hebrews reminds us of that, of course. You can go to other parts of Scripture as well. But uh, faith is from hearing. Faith is not from partaking of communion. But faith comes from the hearing of the Word. So Jesus said to his disciples, And now have communion? No. Now go and take the gospel with you and proclaim this good news. So that's uh, the priority that uh, the Bible itself um, has for us. And the authors of this answer at the Synod of Dort have, have, have honored that. And that is so important for us today 
to not minimize that priority of the preaching of the Word of God, the teaching of the Word of God, um, because we are being challenged in today's world. We live in a very technological world. We live in a much more visual world. It's almost like, for me, uh, when I think of church history, to go back to the times that led up to the Protestant Reformation, where the average person was more or less illiterate, and they were very visually oriented as well. The windows in the church depicting the stories of the Bible, creation, judgment, uh, the apostles, and so forth. Um, and now we are kind of again in that culture where reading books uh, um, is, is just not in. Uh, it is much more in to have you know, things like video and uh, films and movies. And, uh, and so that for the church, that is a challenge. Uh, do we give in to that and we accommodate to that? Or do we say, no, we need to prioritize and keep central the ministry of the preaching of the Word of God? Because that's really the center of our, of our, our service of God, where we take in His Word so that we become equipped as, and become better disciples of Him for the sake of the Great Commission. Um, the sacraments have their role. But in a sense, they follow. It's not in a sense, they follow. Um, and in a sense, they, you could say they are secondary. They're not unimportant, but they, that's the priority. The preaching of the Word of God and the administration of the sacraments by which we are personally uh, edified and nurtured in our faith. So the sacraments are not so much in the context of preaching and the Great Commission, you could almost think about um, Paul's teaching in the book of uh, in his letter to the Corinthians about the gifts of the Spirit. Um, in his time, people spoke in tongues, and Paul, when Paul says, "I, I speak in tongues," um, but what is its purpose? Its function is to be uh, uh, edified personally. When I speak in tongues, it doesn't serve the rest of the body of Christ. That's why he minimizes it in that sense. And he says, yeah, but the, the word of prophecy, the, the preaching of the word is most important. Um, so that's, that's what we can say uh, in a few words about the um, Article 14, God's use of the means of perseverance. So God is in charge of your sanctification, your Christian walk, is what God superintends. So that was something I've said before, was a little bit new for me, because I was just not aware of it enough. That when we talk about the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, we tend to immediately think, I tended to think that it was about me persevering. But the interesting aspect is, uh, the emphasis of the, of the Cans of Dort here in this section on, on perseverance is that God uses the means to, to enable me to persevere. So there's really the, the, the um, synergism uh, between God and the believer when it comes to the means of grace. Um, uh, by the use of the means of grace, we are strengthening our faith, having God all that time superintending your walk in Christ. Because that is really the most important part Yes, I say to you and to myself, 
Continue to use the means of grace. It's your duty as a Christian. But in that duty, God is doing what He does for us, if you will. He is, has started our salvation, and He's also going to be the finisher and perfecter of our salvation in that way. Does that make sense? I hope it does. Uh, 15. Uh, contrasting reactions to uh, the teaching of perseverance. The first thing that it clearly uh, comes out saying is that this doctrine is not vague, it's not novel, uh, it's not something that uh, these strict Calvinists at the Synod of Dort came up with uh, in, uh, in line with uh, um, uh, Calvin and uh, Beza and all these other folks who, who they deemed were too, too strict and did not give uh, uh, due uh, credit to uh, the part that we play uh, by way of our free will, um, uh, they are saying, uh, to the contrary, this teaching about perseverance of true believers and saints and about their assurance uh, is a teaching which God has very richly revealed in His Word for the glory of His name and for the comfort of the godly and which He impresses on the hearts of believers. So if you just read God's Word Patiently, take the time for it. Uh, it mentions um, here in the, in the previous article, in 14, it mentioned um, meditation. Uh, how many times do you and I find in a given week, when we look at the, at the end of the week, we look back and said, how many times did I take time to read that passage and meditate on it? Um, there are devotionals out there. Uh, I've been part of denominations where they publish those. Uh, some very helpful, wonderful uh, uh, devotions have been published that way. Um, it's one verse on the top, and then that passes interpretation. You know, I'm not saying anything negative about that, but but then you have that that devotion, and then you know it's over. And, uh, and then is that, you know, your, your um, communing with God for that day? Um, so they have their place, but I would, I would say that it's more important to have a moment in the day to turn off whatever device you have on and to turn on the Word of God, to read God's Word, and to have that moment of reflection, of meditation, where you ask the Holy Spirit to impress these truths onto your heart, to illumine your heart and your mind, so that you gain a deeper understanding and appreciation of God's revealed Word to you. Um, my sense is that that type of private personal devotion will probably yield greater fruit over time <coughs> than if you were just going by a, a devotional. Uh, that is so severe and so um, so brief. Uh, but back to uh, 15, uh, the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints and the assurance of our salvation. Um, yeah, do you want me to list all the texts? Uh, you know, uh, this would be kind of silly. Uh, we we read through God's word. We see how He is the initiator. We see how He is the promise maker and He is the promise keeper. 
we see how it is all God and not us, that we are the recipients with empty hands receiving the grace in Christ Jesus that becomes ours, that is ours by faith. Uh, we see that God is faithful, we are not. And that nevertheless, and despite our lack of obedience and our lack of faithfulness, he continues to uphold his church, his bride, and keeps us uh, until we see Jesus face to face. To me, anyway, that is the clear teaching of God's word. And not so much that the emphasis would be on what I do at every given moment in time in terms of my choice, my decision, my response to uh, uh, obedience to the gospel's teachings. Um, it's not so much that my will is free, but God freely chooses uh, to persevere me in the faith, uh, who am a sinner by nature, saved by grace and grace alone. Um, another thought that I want to share with you is that this uh, answer, which is then also the final you know, statement about this whole doctrine that the whole thing ends with, um, is doxology. Every section, uh, there are five sections, three and four are combined. Um, let's quickly reiterate that. Um, the first main point of doctrine is divine election and reprobation. The second one is um, the death of Christ and human redemption through it. And then three and four combined. Um, what was that? There. Human corruption, conversion to God, and the way it occurs are three and four. Um, and then uh, the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. All of these individuals end on doxology. On, on praise, on worship, and it says, To this God alone, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be honor and glory forever. Uh, what a beautiful way to end uh, your belief in the gospel, um, the doctrines of sovereign grace. Um, yeah, they engender in me, uh, and I hope in all of us, uh, that desire for praise, the desire for worship. Uh, this God who has done this for me, for me, right? Uh, I am a fallen human being. I'm broken in every part. My will even is, is dysfunctional. Um, I don't have a free will. My will needs to be redeemed. My will needs to be rejuvenated or regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And then I am the recipient of that free gift of salvation. How could I not respond in worship? And adoration um, and so you can sense you meet that sentiment and you can also understand why the authors of this answer um, are then really uh, sending out a rebuke to those among them remonstrance uh, we're having these uh, exceptions and reservations about the very things that I just uh, outlined for you that you find in this uh, final of the three forms of unity but to God all the glory from beginning to end. And uh, yeah, no wonder, uh, no wonder that, and I list all these um, um, contrasting reactions, Satan hates it. Um, 
The world ridicules this teaching. The ignorant and hypocrites abuse it. And the spirits of error attack it. Um, you probably wonder, as I do, who is he talking about? You know, you'd like to have specifics here. Um, Satan is obvious. The world is, you know, the world is the Bible uses the word world. That is the, the humanity in its unregenerate state. Uh, the ignorant and the hypocrites. Here you could have people who may not have a deliberate intent to be uh, at enmity with us Christians, but they're just ignorant. Like Paul says, he was ignorant before he came to faith in Christ. Um, but then again, among the people of God, there are hypocrites, right? And they abuse it. Oh, I'm saved. I'm forever saved. Jesus saved me on the cross. And so now I can... Few people would say I can do what I want, but there are people who don't take holiness as seriously as we should. And so there's an abuse then of something that is true in and of itself, but it is an abuse of it. It is a presumptuous attitude that ought not to be part of our faith experience um, in this world. And so these are the, the reactions, the negative reactions that come um, towards the teaching of God's word in which we find that God perseveres with his people who he gives the gift of assurance of faith that I am who I am, I struggle to be faithful, with God's help I remain faithful, I stay in the faith, but it is all because of him, he perseveres, and in the meantime I'm blessed knowing that yes, by grace alone, I will persevere. That's the assurance, that's the hope, that's the good news of this doctrine that we uh, believe is a biblical doctrine. And then my final comment is that, um, again, the so what question. Um, you know, it, it, there's in the Reformed world worldwide, um, you know, I, I was born in Europe, in, in Holland. I have, I know people in Reformed communities in Australia, New Zealand, and all the continents in Reformed uh, denominations and uh, churches, uh, all around the world, the Reformed community is struggling. Struggling with the same issues. And these issues are not new to us, necessarily. They are found in the Methodist Church, so that 198 churches in the Synod or whatever of Oklahoma yesterday or this week decided to leave the United Methodist Church. Uh, so it's all around the world and all uh, the Christian community. This 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 uh, um, skeptical view towards God's word, um, and so when we have a lowered view of God's word, its nature and authority, um, then inevitably you're going to see that these churches and denominations, when the world comes our way with its challenges, the role of women in the church. Human sexuality, the whole theory of evolution, and perhaps others could be mentioned. Uh, yeah, we can't deny it, we can't ignore it, but what will be our response as a biblically faithful church and denomination? Will we do that by our understanding that our forefathers had? It is the infallible, inerrant word of God that has absolute authority. I don't judge the word, but the, ju the word judges me. Faith-seeking understanding, as they said in those days. Um, 
a humble attitude towards God's word. Lord, I listen to you as it were. May I hear your word. I, may I submit to your word. That attitude is missing today in many churches because we have a lowered view. Many have a lowered view of the Bible and, as a, and, and, and we call that higher criticism. Um, and so um, all these issues that I mentioned, it's much easier to bend God's word and to interpret it and reinterpret the text to accommodate what our needs are today. So the world is overwhelmingly, of course, in favor of uh, the, the equality of women in society. And I don't have, I speak on personal terms, I don't have a problem with that. But in the church, we should not be forced to do what the church says should be done in the, wor in the world everywhere. If we have a sense that God's word is clear on whatever it is, this is not anti-women, it's not uh, you know, pro-men, it is what God's word teaches us. We ought to abide by it. Um, because otherwise, you are accommodating to the world in such a way that you lose your, what I called in the first service, the antithesis. Uh, we are not like the world. We are, we are, we are uh, standing out like a sore thumb in a way. Uh, we are not uh, normal. Uh, I hate to say that, but uh, um, you know, get used to it. Um, we, are, we are very abnormal, because the norm is that man thinks that he is quite something, and uh, he is ready to sit around the table and talk with God about it. Um, and uh, that is not at all a Christian's perspective. Uh, we say, Lord, speak to me, and your servant listens. And I listen with the desire and the purpose to obey. So, um, so I, I'm making a case here. The the, the, uh, the, the, the Kens of Dort are, are uh, making a case for uh, continue to treasure the Reformed standards that we call the Confessions. Uh, continue to to uh, appreciate them and to and to honor them, because the beauty of these Confessions is that we not it's not that we introduce something that we shouldn't introduce like the churches who say Christ only and no confessions, right? Or uh, uh, how is that phrase, uh, Christ is our only creed or something like that. Uh, no, these are beautiful statements. They're not God's word. They're not infallible. But we believe them to echo truthfully and reliably what God's word teaches. They have the effect of keeping us together uh, so that when challenges come the church's way, we have these confessions to turn to because they themselves have turned their ear towards the Word of God. And so they are means, and reliable means, to help the church navigate these really dangerous and difficult times that we live in. Um, and so I think it would be very undesirable if we stopped preaching the Catechism, if we stopped emphasizing the teaching of the Reformed Confessions, uh, as is being done in the churches that go the other direction. I'm not pointing fingers, but I observe simply that where God's, where the respect of God's people and the theologians and the pastors is lowered on terms of the word, then you begin to see that the emphasis on the confessions is also lowered and eventually disappears. Um, so, any thoughts or comments or questions before we close?
all have a prayer together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have come to the end of this uh, discussion on the canons of Lord. We thank you for those uh, uh, men who then uh, took seriously their responsibility as uh, leaders in the church to defend uh, your truth. Uh, it was not their agenda, they believed, to be defending that, but to defend your truth. Um, and so, Lord, we thank you for, for that willingness. And, and may we uh, no less today uh, defend your truth, because it's not that we defend the three forms of unity, but we are defending the truth that they represent uh, and seek to echo. So, Lord, thank you. Uh, for the, the time that you've given us uh, in, in this experience as well, to, to be refreshed and renewed and strengthened in our faith and our assurance that we have a gracious God who looks in favor down upon his undeserving people. And despite our unfaithfulness and uh, being so unreliable at times, uh, that you are preserving us and you are persevering in your preservation of us so that someday... We will reach the shore on the other side uh, and uh, enjoy life with one another and in your presence uh, forever and in perfection. And so thank you, Father, that you alone, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, be given honor and glory now and forever. Amen. Amen.